2: The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the two one one Renault and Dacia range. Get your card delivered to you in
3: just a couple of clicks. Call us today to find out more or visit blackstonemotors.ie Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. Welcome to Late Launch Midweek Wednesday. Great to have you with us on the show. We have uh, plenty of interesting chat for you over the next couple of hours. If you want to get in touch with us on the show, I'll give you the usual numbers. Top of the show, 086 1800 658. WhatsApp or text me to studio. You can call in on eighteen fifty seven 15958. We're heading to the Highlands in Scotland a little bit later on. Looking forward to that. The ELO story continues... Soup Kitchens, what's been happening this last year. Mark O'Neill is with us and he made millions but walked away from it. Chris McGale tells us his story on the show after two. But I begin today with a very sad story because on the 31st of March, Lee Delaney uh, died after taking an overdose. He was in Trim in County Mead. And I'm joined on the show today by one of his lifelong friends, Kyle Carney. Hello, Kyle. How are you, Jerry? How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. First, I, I want to say how really sorry I am. It's very fresh. It's only two weeks ago uh, since Lee passed away. You were very close.
4: Yeah, we were very close. Like we got on like a house on fire. He was a great lad, you know what I mean? Um, it's a massive loss. and um, We're still kind of settling in. To the idea that he's not going to be here anymore.
3: And for you, this is particularly poignant for yourself because, uh, to tell our listeners today, you are a recovering drug addict.
4: Yeah, I am. I'm uh, 10 months around now clean. It's the longest I've ever gotten. I've kind of battled it for a long time. Um, I would have, like, my relationship with substances would have started uh, from the age of 12 onwards, you know, and... It was only in my late 20s and um, that I started to try and tackle the problem and only now that I feel like I have a grip on recovery.
3: So this is the longest you've ever gone. I'm right to say it's your fifth time going through this process and you're not far short of the year at this stage. So you must be really encouraged by that.
4: Um, I am. I am really encouraged. Um, I, feel, I feel like every time I went around I learned something more. Um, and I think that that's what I needed like you know um, I was never going to get it on the first time some people do but uh, that just wasn't for me that wasn't my journey Um, and this time around yeah I feel stronger in myself Um, I have goals I have things I want to achieve you know I'm done with that life now
3: like you know Mm, You're confident in that and I wish you well over the coming weeks, months and years take me back to that age you mentioned there 12 years of age How does drug-taking begin? Just take me through it. What what did it start with, with you?
4: Um, Well, I suppose it would have been hash. Um, I think a lot of people would uh, relate to that. Um, It was just, you know, the thing to do. Um, You know, 12 years old, um, very curious, um, doing stuff we shouldn't be doing. Mm. Um, Never did I think that it would progress to where it progressed to. But... Mm. um, yeah, it was just curiosity, really.
3: Right. So, Hash, did you take a drink? Was alcohol a feature of your young life as well?
4: Oh, yeah, definitely. Alcohol played a big part. Um, you know, I was very into the party scene as well. And um, I loved drink. I loved what it did for me. I loved, uh, you know, the fake confidence, everything that comes with it. Um, and just the escape. Mm.
3: And from hash, where does it go from there? Does it reach a point that with hash, well, look, I'm not getting the buzz or whatever out of this, it's not doing it for me? How do you move on and what do you move on to?
4: Well, um, I don't know because I would have smoked hash and weed throughout my addiction, um, but I think the fact that I I, was such a young age where I introduced myself to drugs, um, the, the door was already open. And, you know, so then it was like, oh, sure, I'll just try that or that's going. Let's have a bit of that. You know what I mean?
3: And uh, moving on through the different aspects of, of drugs and the strength and the danger of them, I take it cocaine featured or has featured, you know, all right through, you know, for your lifetime as well?
4: Yeah, probably um, in my later teens and definitely throughout my 20s, uh, cocaine would have been uh, massive. Like I was hugely addicted to it. I had a real problem with coke and um, it was just so easily got and again what it done for me it was like my crutch
3: and is it true that you, you were working and holding down a job but you were hooked on cocaine you'd take cocaine first thing in the day when you'd waken up
4: yeah the second I'd wake up straight into the bag yeah
3: and easily available We hear about it now You could pick it up No problem How did you fund it? You were working Where what, what was all your A lot of your money From your job Going towards funding This habit?
4: Oh yeah I hadn't a penny uh, Everything was gone On drugs Everything Paying Peter Robin Peter To pay Paul like, Do you know
3: what I mean? When you think about that You know Kyle That you hadn't a penny Nothing Nothing yeah and uh, you obviously you, you ate, and uh, you kept yourself going with a bit of grub and things like that. Did it? Did it not? You know, uh, appear to your employers or where you were working that there was something up? Were you able to hide that, mask that?
4: Um, I think a lot of people that I worked with probably realised there was stuff going on, but nobody was saying anything. I'm, I I probably managed to hide it from the bosses. I'm a good actor.
3: Mmm, you'd have to be to hide something like that. When you you you'd you go into your weekends, let's say, when you weren't at work, would you be, you, you'd, you'd socialise, you'd drink, you'd take coke, the weekends just went by, was it a bit of a blur from one week into the next?
4: Yeah, well, it was a blur, that's just it, it was exactly that, a blur from one weekend to the next. Every day was the weekend, really. I mean, right. The only difference was I'd be drinking and using with people as opposed to doing it on my own, you know?
3: Yes, I see, yeah, I see, yeah. So that was the distinction. Um, heroin materialised, yes.
4: Yeah, it did. Uh, in well, I was about, I think, 32 when I first tried it. Um, again, I don't know why. I can't explain why um, I was at a very low point in my life. I just felt very hopeless know that this was my life and there wasn't going to be a way out of it and um, addiction is very progressive and um, in that sense and yeah I just I tried it and I loved it uh, I talked to it like a duck to water and it brought me to my knees really and I think that's where I needed to go to um to really realise that this isn't the life that I want and to to accept the help and to do everything that I needed to do to get where I want to be.
3: Were you on heroin then exclusively? I'm just trying to probe this a bit. Are we still smoking weed and hash, drinking, mixing some coke? Was it an amalgam of the whole lot?
4: Um, yeah, it would have been, but primarily heroin then because it that kind of level of drug just takes over do you know what I mean uh, everything else would be there in the background if I didn't have it or couldn't get it um, but yeah once you know it got a grip on me there was, it wasn't letting go do you know
3: you say coke is available everywhere there's no problem getting coke is heroin in a similar availability vein
4: yeah it's just not talked about as much but it is very accessible
3: hmm Explain to me, because the only drugs I ever take is when I go to the ph- doctor and I have to go to the pharmacy and take them to uh, make me feel a little better if I'm unwell. Explain to me the difference between taking cocaine and taking heroin.
4: Uh, well, coke kind of gives you the high real... Um, just releases loads of dopamine and you're you're just so excited and confident. Uh, heroin would... And will relax you. Will get rid of all your problems. And um, will numb the pain.
3: Mm. Are you out of it or are you conscious?
4: Am I? Uh, no, you're. Con- you're very conscious. Yeah, you're very conscious.
5: Yeah,
3: okay. But you just feel as if you've no worries, nothing's bothering you, no pain, all that type of feeling comes.
4: Yeah, and, and like if you take, if you're taking a lot of it, you're gonna kind of nod off. You know, they call it goofing. Um, but yeah, more, more than not, you're very conscious, you're aware, you're just relaxed.
3: And again, were you able to work on heroin or is that a different animal altogether when it comes to trying to keep that aspect of your life in order?
4: Uh, no, that was, I wasn't working at the okay. time and I don't think I would have managed to hold down the job.
3: And obviously the addiction is, Kyle, that when you feel like that, you want that feeling to continue uninterrupted, so you've got to get a fix and more fixes. Yes,
4: yeah. and you don't want to feel. You don't want to feel your emotions. You don't want to feel the pain, so you'll take it. You feel guilt and shame every time you use, and that drives you to use again and again and again. It's like a vicious cycle, you know?
3: And if you're not working, how do you fund that habit? Uh, well it, you know you get yourself
4: into a lot of money trouble yeah, yeah build yeah. up and you have you have to find some way of paying it yeah
3: okay so then that's what happens and it's a vicious circle It just you're getting deeper and deeper and deeper into a hole look you've tried I mentioned earlier on this is the fifth occasion you've gone to try and bring this to an end and you're doing really well ten months in heading for the year as I said what's different this time?
4: Um, well this time you know I think knowledge is power and the more i've went around the more i've learned um why i feel a certain way um learning different coping skills to just deal with life in general um and i reached the point where i was ju- i was just like i want out of this and um, people are here to are there to help me they're telling me what i need to do and i just actually need to listen now and do it because all the other times before i was trying to do it my own way and I picked bits and pieces of recovery that I, I liked and the others I just brushed under the carpet. Um, so I really just had to pay attention and to listen to the people who've gone before me and done it right and take lead from them. Do you know what I mean?
3: Was losing your real good friend Lee Delaney uh, something that rocked you perhaps a little bit? A
4: little bit. Um, that, my I just... Uh, crashing down when I got the news Um, and at that point like I really had a decision to make Um, do I fall or do I keep going and I think I owed it to Lee to like not give up and just keep going he always would tell me how proud he was of me on the phone and um, he was really encouraging that way and I'm still de- trying to deal with that now. Um, I'm trying to draw strength from um, Lee. Yeah, it was a real curveball. You know? Yes,
3: yes. And uh, he is inspiring you, and you're determined to do good by him, to remember him, to keep going on this uh, excellent road that you're on at the moment. Um, You're in recovery at the moment and you're continuing. This is an ongoing process. When do you, you know, is it, that's the word I wanted to say to you, is it ongoing? Is it forever now? You know, you're in the intensity of this at the moment. Does it ease off a little bit and then you sort of have to paddle your own canoe?
4: Well, uh, forever is a very scary concept. But yeah, I mean, you're never really fully recovered. You always have to pay attention to where you are and uh, how you're feeling and not to let yourself uh slip uh but it does ease off i mean definitely but then you come up against things like this and uh loss and grief are really hard emotions to deal with and um you just have to battle through them and um, so at times like this it's very intense but then yeah day to day life if you're if you've put things in place to keep yourself safe um, day life is great, like you're actually living in recovery, do you know what I mean not just existing.
3: Yes, yes, uh, th- yes uh, very well explained indeed. Yeah, um, you have plans as well beyond this, you want to actually now go in a direction with your life, tell us about that.
4: Um, yeah well I do I'm going to college in September to do social care um, in the hope to eventually be able to work in the services and give back and help people who are in the same position I was, and then to go forward on to maybe study say, psychotherapy and counselling. Um, it's, a, it's a goal, it's a dream anyway, So, um, but if, uh, it's something to work towards, do you know what I mean?
3: You're um, a supporter of the Meath community, drugs and alcohol response people, and you're trying to help them as well at this time?
4: Yeah, well, Macar have been there for me from the get-go. From the second I wanted to uh, try and help myself, they were there to pick me up, push me on. Um, they do a lot of things in trim. Uh, they don't charge anything. They're very underfunded. They um, they provide one-to-one counselling, uh, group therapy. They find treatment centres for people, support them while they're in there, support them when they come out. Um, and anytime, I mean, you can go to them with anything and they're there to help you no judgement, they just want to see you do the best for yourself and they'll do everything in their power to help you get there.
3: And they have set up a page in memory of Lee Delaney. It's on GoFundMe.com and if you just put in M-C-D-A-R. You'll find it there in memory of beloved our Lee Delaney. That is the page there. If anybody listening to us today can give them a little bit of help, every euro would be uh, appreciated. You're a great fella. You really are. And to be able to talk so openly at this challenging time for you and to have a clear view of where you're going and to be 10 months on on this journey, you should be so, so proud of yourself, Kyle.
4: Yeah, well, I'll be proud when I when I reach my goals. I am proud, and um, I am happy um, to be doing this. Uh, to especially the fundraiser, um, I mean, it's such a great cause, and especially because it's in Lee's memory, and he was like he's the driving force behind it, really. Um,
3: mm. You
4: know, he was so enthusiastic and interested in everything. Yes. Um, so it's just it means a lot to be able to do this. Yes.
3: Yeah. We remember him today, Lee Delaney, as uh, you speak to us. I wish you well on this journey. Uh, keep going as well as you have been. And good luck with college in the autumn of the year as well. And there's a real message today to anybody listening there is no future in a life of addiction to drugs. Thank you for taking our call today. I appreciate it uh, immensely, Kyle.
4: Thanks very much,
3: Chief. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. Bye-bye. That's Kyle Carney there. Fine guy, isn't he? There's a real message there, isn't there? There is no future. And I know it's easy to say it when you haven't gone this road or have an addiction, but there really, really isn't. Late launch, LMFM Radio. Louise, did you know on this day, on this day, I was just having a little gander back in time that the Titanic sunk on this day back in 1912, all those years ago on the 14th of April. Yes, Uh, 2,240 passengers were on board the ship And nearly 1,500 lost their lives. huge loss of life, isn't it? it?
1: Have you you been up to the museum in Belfast?
3: Uh, I've been to the Titanic Quarter, but not in the museum, actually. I I will have to do it. Yeah, Yeah. you have, haven't you? you have, yeah. It's fantastic. They even have, like, a
1: replica of a cabin. Have they? Yeah, Yeah. you could just...
3: Yeah, worth visiting. So there's oh, one to put feeling. on your list when we can can travel again. But that's interesting. This day in in 1914, it sank. And just in another little ditty, uh, uh, remembering back on the 14th of April, did you ever read a book called The Grapes of Wrath? Who's it by? John Steinbeck.
1: Oh, is he the chap that, read, that wrote The Pearl?
3: Um...
1: I think so. I think so. Yes, I think you're right there. Yeah,
3: but the Grapes of Wrath is a really an an unbelievable book, an institution, really. He wrote it in 1939, and it was about uh, a family called the Jodes, a poor family. They were tenant farmers, and they were driven off the land in Oklahoma, and uh, they were trapped in the Dust Bowl, and they had to go to California along with thousands of others. They were known as Okies. You know what I mean? They had to look for jobs, the land if they could get it and a future. It was an unbelievable book when it was published. I was just uh, doing a little bit of research on it in 1939. It sold 400,000 copies. Now, think about that uh, of the time. And since, do you know how many it's sold worldwide? Over 14 million. Mm. And it's still selling today, Louise. So whoever that man's estate is dying to get, it's still selling. I think it may have been on the curriculum, curriculum, wasn't it? it was, I'm, I'm sure, for uh, some of the the exams, the state exams in this country. But I did re- read it many moons ago. It's a, it's a fantastic, fantastic book. But at the time, it was banned, it was burned, it was heatedly debated on radio it's all the great books. and in the newspapers. You know, can you imagine it today with social media? What would have happened? But it won the Pulitzer Prize, which is the, the the big prize to win the National Book Award in the USA. And Steinbeck was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1962. On the back of the grapes of wrath, you know, Margaret Madden uh, probably. Yeah, yeah, I'd say she would. Just a little ditty about uh, this day back when, in 1939, the grapes of wrath were published. I'd say there are people listening to us today, actually. uh, have the book may have the grapes a might have read it if you have if uh, it was on your curriculum for studies do get in touch with us don't forget you can always join in the conversation every afternoon here 086 1800 658 by whatsapp or text or you can call in on 1850 don't miss my next guest after two he's brilliant he made millions and walked away from it now my next guest from small time at an early age to big time in the city Chris McGale was a hustler all his life that was was until, at the height of his success with Merrill Lynch, he walked away from something he was brilliant at and earning millions. The question is why and where has life taken him since? Let's find out. Afternoon, Chris.
5: Jerry, hello. Good to talk with you.
3: Great to talk with you on the show today. Look, on face value for anybody listening, they say, oh my God, wasn't that just the maddest decision
5: ever? Why did you go? It was May 2002. Yeah, I think I had my George Best moment, as I called it. You know, (laughs) it was it was a pretty crazy decision, frankly, but I did what I did. And I suppose I'd spent my whole life making single minded decisions, you know, from from orphan kid all the way through going back to school And, and everything I did. I made my own decisions. So that was a very bad one. I made a couple of those in my life, but that was certainly one of them. Had you made
3: your money at that stage? You were, what, 39. Were you leaving confident that you had enough stashed to get along for a while?
5: Uh, yeah, I suppose I thought so at the time. I had a lot of shares and options in Merrill Lynch, uh, which of course, <laughs> come 2008, they all went popped to zero. So, uh, didn't work out that way, I'm afraid. But, but yeah, at the time I did, Jerry.
3: You went back, did you, for a time? Yeah, I read in the book that, you know, you, you walked away from that massive job, but you did tip back in.
5: Well, it's a bit like when you play for Man United, you know, uh, take Wayne Rooney, you know, next stop is Derby County, you know, you don't you don't go back up. So when you come back in, someone's in your seat, you know, I had this term, incumbents. You know, when you play for Man United, Merrill Lynch, you're in that seat, you've got the business card, you know, it's you, you're representing the firm. So a lot of, uh, a lot of it is down to what seat you're sitting in. Mm,
3: and as you said, that global financial crisis, oh my word, did it wreak havoc. And with what you had as well, did you worry at that stage, you know, that you could be left with
5: damn all? Um, you know, again, to sort of pick up on what I said earlier, you know, my, my attitude has always been from when I was a kid, you know, I was always going to make money. It's what I do, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I sort of expected that, that I would again. Um, so, yeah, it's been tough. I mean, one of my problems in 2008 was I wasn't bankrupt as it happens. You know, mm. uh, I had a lot of assets, a lot of debt and the assets had collapsed in value and the debt was still there and, you know. I've spent, you know, more than a decade sorting it out. But yes, uh, it's all all done. But as far as the, um, the vulture banks, or anybody else who were concerned, they all got a hundred percent of their money back from me. Unfortunately for me, mm.
3: it's uh, a hard one to take at times, and uh, difficult to work your way through. But well done to you for for doing it. So look, I, I know you've written this book, "The Million Dollar Irishman," but you, are you earning, you have to be earning a crust in other ways since then.
5: No, I, I, I've got a good business. I mean, my business is Tyrone Capital. You know, uh, yeah. Mickey, Mickey Hart's got done the forward of my book. Yes. Uh, and and um, you know, I, I'm all things Tyrone. You know, so like a whole lot of other people I know. Um, so, so basically, uh, that, that business is in high end finance for property development in in what's called build to rent. So I'm doing deals in the UK and Portugal. I've I've got one on my desk at the moment in Estonia, which is a port deal, slightly different, but nonetheless, large scale property development.
3: Oh, Tallinn is beautiful. I've been there. One of the most beautiful cities I've ever visited in little Estonia. Now, look, come back to, to yourself. Um, you were a man you know that began you know running errands uh, to betting shops for a pound a week and that's where this all began you you won big money you bet big you gamble big on the likes of horses at the tables as well is that in the past you went to gamblers anonymous i know have you have you finished with all that
5: uh, I went once, you know, I, I never had an addiction as it happens. I mean, people, everyone says that, right? But, but, you know, my whole addiction was about winning, you know, and it was all part of the, the game I played in life, you know, from, from when I started out as a, carrying the bets and the boogies at 12 years old, you know, betting in pennies and pounds and hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands and ultimately millions, you know. And um, so, you know, it's about winning, not, not about gambling. And so once I stopped, not winning, i.e. losing, I stopped and, and that's 20 years ago since so I bet on the horse, couldn't care less, don't even watch the Grand National anymore.
3: She <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> used to be the few pound of the Irish Grand National at 150 to 1, you'd have been a happy man this year but there you go. Um, so that's in the past. Look, you t- let's talk a little bit about you and your life. You lost your dad when you were three years of age. You probably didn't know him as such. Your, your mum was your rock and then she died when she was 46, such a young age and you were only 12 and and you had to make your way.
5: Yeah. So what happened is my brother, who is also heavily in, in the story, Paul, um, mm. got got a bad beating after she died by one of the lay teachers at the at the school. Um, and basically, he, they expelled him. Then, four months after she died, he just turned fourteen. So he la- he got expelled, and I left too. So for the next number of years, we literally bummed around doing different things. In my case, it was hanging out in boogie shops. So I knew everything there was to know about horses. You know, every horse, all the farm. My brain works that way, which ultimately led through. I went back to school at eighteen, got into Queens, uh, got into Deloitte, went into Ulster Investment Bank, and in London with Merrill Lynch and. and the wall street giant so the story is from john street to wall street yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's
3: a lovely story but yeah. talking about your brother paul right through the book and i've read the book he's there he hovers over you in all of your life and it was to say the least a fractious relationship
5: yeah we were we were alienated for a long period of time you know i i basically blamed him from from my demise you know the wasted years the teenagers and everything else but you know, in the book, I learned very much that that was wrong, you know, and uh, unfortunately, he died in 2007. So I, I started writing the book again in 2014, having returned to the scene of my near-death car crash, uh, which is Killeen down the road from you there, Killian, mm. uh, outside Newry, South Thurma. So, um, so basically, um, I went to the scene of the crash and had some flashbacks. So when I started writing again in 2014 and then finished it during the lockdown, Paul was central to the story, but, but all the time in a positive way because I'd learned we'd been reconciled about 2003 at the All-Ireland Final. Tyrone, Norman, I was there. Um, <laughs> and so, so, you know, uh, we were reconciled and fully reconciled. You know, the, the badness between us was completely... Um, Forgotten about, and you know what I've said in another thing, and it's true, Jerry. You know anybody who's got a problem with their brother or their sister should really start it out because you never know what's coming next. You know, and thank Mm. God I did. You know very much.
3: Yeah, those are very important words to to think about and contemplate today. They certainly are, and great, you did reconcile uh, before he passed away. Um, You mentioned that car crash because you really shouldn't be talking to me today. You probably shouldn't have survived.
5: Uh, it's a one in a million chance people said it to me you know i, I was traveling at a big speed so i don't know it's fast i can't remember anything about the crash so it would have been about 150 miles an hour combined speeds of me and a lorry and i went underneath a lorry and the only reason i lived is i was going so fast so the lorry came on the steering wheel over the bonnet over the over the went through the window of the car and was coming down to basically behead me so to speak and and it landed on the steering wheel turned the car and in that split second, I lived, and then someone saved my life by the roadside. So amazing. Yeah,
3: I'm going to talk about her in a moment. But just on the crash, this went to court, and you were offered a settlement in court. And there were no, you know, the other way the court case works outside before it went to trial. You could have settled and got compensation. You didn't.
5: Yeah, it's one of my bad decisions, Terry. You know, I hadn't enough. Uh, I had no advisors. You know, I spent my whole life doing my own thing. You know, I'm literally an orphan, and that's how I think. You know, so my ambition that day was to see the whites of the lorry driver's eyes. I had, he'd not come to see me. This was three or four years after the crash, 91, so three years. And, you know, he'd not come to see me. He nearly killed me, you know, and, and they made no contact. And, and, you know, I was determined to get this out, out of my system, you know, see the whites of his eyes. So I did that. I lost, and I had a sort of a condor moment afterwards where I said, oh, well, it's over now. It's exercise, goodbye. I moved on, went to London, and that's life
3: you're a noma man and of course that's where it all began for you the pub there as you said running the errands on uh, uh to bookie shops etc but it was a very uh, let me say ecumenical upbringing and life there was no you know i don't have to tell you the orange and green in uh, northern ireland that wasn't the case it was uh, everybody was friends
5: well, in Oma, we, we, we had a, you know, dare I say, a Catholic majority, which is quite unusual in, yeah. in Northern Ireland towns. And so it was, it was a, you know, a, a more relaxed town than others. There was much less conflict, let me put it that way. The Oma bomb was different, you know, but that, that was very much um, not the norm, so to speak. You know, I mean, obviously the worst atrocity of trust, all the troubles. But other than that, I mean, the town was quite friendly. Dominic Kiley um, said, uh, uh, you know, who was Oma born, he said it was a good town to grow up in. Um, hmm. not, not, given to, um, not given to sectarianism, which it wasn't.
3: Yes. Two uh, tragedies, tragic deaths among the thousands during the Troubles, as we call it, you write about in the book. John Whitey Hannigan. Tell me about this man. It was very sad.
5: Uh, he was a great guy, you know, much loved, to say the least. Uh, my mother was very fond of him, that's uh, the best way I can put it. You know, I I was very aware of him because she, and inverted commas, loved him so much. And he was a happy chappy, you know, the sort of guy who was always smiling, big guy, a big tall guy, a white face, white haired, you know. And and then one day a guy who I knew um, subsequently learned, you know, who got two life sentences because killed Whitey and another guy, another UDR man. Um, so Whitey joined the UDR and... Stopped coming to the pub, and then one day um, this guy who knew him shot him on the roadside. So.
3: Shocking, and I know it had an impact on you. And the other was Constable Colleen McMurray, and she was at the scene of your accident.
5: Yeah, um, she came to see me, and everything was very, very helpful in relation to you know whether or not I was going to face a criminal charge, because as things stood, the accusation, accusation was that I caused the crash. <laughs> And uh, despite all the evidence pointing otherwise, I, I couldn't remember. And the guy said I caused it. And, and suddenly I'm said, looking at, at, at you know a charge for dangerous driving or careless driving in the, in the accident that I nearly died in. So fortunately, that, that was not the case. And then she eventually decided that nobody could be found, uh, went to civil courts. So there could be no tr- criminal action. Because what happened is we crashed in bandit country right on the border. And by the time the police arrived at the scene, which was three hours after the crash, yeah, it was impossible to tell where the debris was one way or the other and no charges were brought. But she was a, a lovely lady and, and again died in Newry um, in a mortar attack, which was uh, very, very sad.
3: Yes, she was killed as well in tragic circumstances. Amazing, those two people you mentioned. And obviously they're with you in your thoughts as you travel on in life. Um, you dabbled at the, to be a priest. Well, it wasn't your decision, really. Somebody <laughs> thought he'd make a great priest.
5: Yeah, I was at Drummond Town. you might know it, in yes, for, yes. for a week, but but only for a week. Uh, uh, the, the best memory of that week was the end, and it happened to be um, the 1974 World Cup final between Germany and Holland, so I have more memory of the, f- the football match than anything else on that week, and, and I was very glad to be gone. I never went back, as they say.
3: No, and uh, another thing to mention, you spent time in hospital with TB, you and Paul.
5: That's right. I, I think that was really where the animosity grew between us, because you know he had got the tb and I, and i was very angry to say the least you know it was i was i was a county champion boxer you know for heaven's sake and uh the boxing kept me sane and sober as i said in the book you know paul was hitting the booze and and uh, basically somehow picked up tb and gave it to me and uh You know, and and that caused a lot of angst between us uh, that certainly lasted for 20 years afterwards.
3: My word, have you had a full life. And you mentioned the Oma bomb. I can still remember the eve before that for a particular reason and the day itself. And I think it was an absolute defining moment in uh, the trouble. It's the end of the end. I honestly felt after that. I don't know how you look at it, but you played a big part from afar in supporting the victims.
5: Um, one of the things I said in the book, I learned as a child not to cry at somebody else's funeral. So I went to Oma on the Monday after the bomb it was the 15th of August, 98. So that was Monday, the 17th. And, and basically I, um, you know, wanted to spend a few days here, but I realized that, that there was a lot of wakes. And I went to one or two wakes and, and just said, look, it's not for me. I, I went back to London. So a couple of months later, the worst Im- Im- impacted victims were on the Late Late Show. And I, and I watched that and thought, you know what, I really need to try and do something. So I got involved and, and I um, helped raise um, through what's called the Friends of oma in Dublin and London, which I was I established. Um, I raised £1.5 million pounds for the victims of the Oma bomb.
3: You did wonderful, wonderful work and it was greatly appreciated and even resonates to this day. Tell me this, is the Wolf of Wall Street an apt depiction of the world you moved in for a time?
5: Uh yes and no. You know, I, I, I've seen that sort of behaviour. I wasn't part of it myself. You know, but 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 certainly the word excess is true. You know, we were we were earning crazy sums of money. I mean, I'm a guy from above a pub in Oma, You know, um, one of the things I wanted to be in my life was Barney Curley, as worth saying. You know, hmm. so the year my mother died in 1975, Barney had his first big coup with Yellow Sam, and from that moment on, uh, she died in March. That was July. I wanted to be Barney Curley, so I carried that through all the way. Into high high stakes gambling and high stakes uh, business in the city with Marilyn. So so yeah, I, I was I'd sort of graduated a lo- over a long period of time to get to that point. So it wasn't quite such a big. Uh, madness moment for me it was part of what i was trying to achieve really
3: it's funny where i sit today speaking to you uh just out the road in Town on the hill is where that big coup happened the yellow sam coup all those years ago small world isn't it yeah it's just beside us here of course tell um, me this uh who'd play you in the wolf of
5: wall street uh jamie dornan would be my preference. Oh, uh,
3: i like yeah. it good choice good choice you'll be done justice there for sure look when you look back on your time and what you did and burning the candles at every end to you know be successful in that business is it worth it you know what do you say to perhaps young people looking at that today god look at that man look what he achieved i could possibly do that can you do it for a short period of time is it a short lifespan
5: well, I did 11 years in the city, wow. which I think, which I think was actually quite a long time. Mm. Uh, you know, so, so uh, in the end, you just, you just burn out. You get fed up. It's 24 seven, the stress, the pressure and everything's about winning. You know, you're only as good as your last trade in the city. Now, would, would I recommend it to somebody? Absolutely. Yes. If, if a guy has that capacity and, and very few do, I have to be frank with you. But if you do have that sort of innate understanding of the value of things, you know, a, a brain that works. 24-7 working things out, um, gathering bits and pieces of useless information, then absolutely go for it. Why not?
3: The Million Dollar Irish Man, the book you've self-published.
5: Yeah. Um, what happened is I had a publishing offer in 2014 with Liberty's Express in Dublin, but the story wasn't finished then. I wasn't looking for an offer. So then I finished it during lockdown um, and, and then published it as The Humpty Dumpty Man in October last year. Um, I then had a lot of advice from city friends who said, you just haven't said enough about the city. And and, and, I, and I wanted to write more about Paul as well, because the previous yeah. book ended with his death. So it's now called The Million Dollar Irishman. And if you want to know more, it's www.milliondollaririshman.com. You've got it all there. It talks about Eason's and Bookstation. Bookstation had a, a second order this week. so Good. It's, It's going really well. Thank you.
3: I'm not surprised. I enjoyed it immensely. I really did. You've lived lived a a number of lives, may I say, Chris, already. And it's great that you've brought it to print now, your story. Uh, They say there's a book in everybody. Thank God you did this one because it's been really worthwhile. I wish you well with it and with everything in your life. You're married, of course, and you have your own children now in London uh, and uh, for the future. Good wishes to you all.
5: It's been a pleasure, Jerry. Thank you
3: so much. Thank you for joining me on the show. Take care of yourself. That's Thank Chris you. McGale there. Million Dollar Irishman is the name of the book. Would you like it? Would you like the book? It's a good read. i tell you that. It's a good read. You know me and me books. I'll give it to one of you. I always do. I don't want to keep the books here. I want to send them out and let somebody else benefit from this. The question is this. To win the Million Dollar Irishman book, how much is the lottery jackpot work tonight the Irish lottery jackpot it's the biggest it's been this year in many a day how much is that jackpot worth tonight I better do me a couple of lines it's the only way I'll get a million if if my numbers come up answers please to 086 1800 658 that's 086 1800 658 with your name and details and the amount the Irish lottery is worth tonight and we'll pick a winner before the end of the show oh it's going to be a good night for for somebody and maybe for a number of people in Ireland 12.5 million Come on Come on I'm doing a quick pick I'll certainly do a quick pick On the way home This evening for sure Anyway Black Eyed Peas And I got a feeling Somebody will have that feeling Imagine the feeling If you won 12.5 million Good luck to everybody tonight and good luck to everybody who's going to play the new LMFM Bingo. Yes, daily prize of 400, a jackpot of 5,000 proceeds going to the National Council uh, for the Blind. And I have to say to you that there are lots of shops out there where the books are available. Just to mention a couple, Mimnas in Slane, they have them there in the Royal County. Royal, they're also in Farley Centre. In uh, Navin, Abbey Crescent there. Over in uh, the Wheat County, Sloan's on the Avenue Road in Dundalk. They have the books there. Weldon's in Dunleer. You can get them all around the place. But do check out online, please, lmfm.ie. You can buy your books online on lmfm.ie. That's the easiest way to buy the books, to be honest with you. Best of luck to everybody with that one. Still to come on the show, ELO after three. We're heading to the Highlands as well. But up next on the show... Many people relied on soup kitchens and the last year has been a challenge. Founder of Soup Kitchens, Mark O'Neill, with us next. On this day, I mentioned top of the show, the 14th of April Titanic song. John Riley got in touch with us. He has the London Herald newspaper dated the 16th of April 1912 with all the photos and the news stories about the sinking of the Titanic. My word, John, hold on to that, mind it, keep it safe. It's wonderful to have that actual newspaper. Thanks for getting in touch with us and letting us know on the show today. Now, the soup kitchens uh, across the northeast were vital for so many people uh, during normal times. But with the pandemic and lockdown and being shut, what has happened to clients of the soup kitchen? How have the soup kitchens fared out? I'm delighted to say he's back with us on Late Lunch. It's founder, Mark O'Neill. Hello again, Mark.
0: Hi Jerry. thank you for having me on the show
3: Not at all, you're welcome Always are with us here uh, Last year, you got open for spits and spats Here and there, was that the way it worked? It, that's the way it worked I think it, we've
0: been shut down now For approximately six months all in all Out of the year
3: which... and, and Mark, like when you're shut down like that And as I said there a moment ago People depending on you Calling in, that contact, the food Everything else that goes along with it what What's happened? What, what has happened to those people? How have you uh, managed to, to service that community?
0: Well, what we've been trying to do is to get food parcels out to individuals. Like our food parcel service has increased by 20 to 25, maybe 27% uh, on the two, 2019 figures. But uh, Obviously, you can't get to everybody because there's individuals that are sleeping rough and that kind of thing, and they have no cooking facilities or anything like that. Uh, and the fact that the doors are shut, it's very, very hard to get in uh, communication with a lot of the individuals, unfortunately.
3: Yes, yeah, so you're doing your best in difficult uh, circumstances. Have you a new. Uh, demand. I'm curious about this. You know, people who are struggling and have been struggling this last year with the loss of uh, employment, the difficulties, all that brings.
0: Oh, there's no, there's no doubt about that. We've had, it, we've had a, a, an increase of nearly 100 food parcels uh, per week which is a lot of food parcels when you're mm.
4: trying
0: to get the food in and get them all boxed up and get them out there. But um, yeah, no, the, 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 the COVID has most certainly made a big impact on, on, on lower income families, there's no doubt.
3: Yeah. Um, you've put an awful lot of your own money into the kitchens and this whole adventure. Where do you see the future for it? Do you see yourself, you know, with time, please God, with vaccination and us moving out of these strained times, resuming just as before or what, Mark?
0: Well, I'm assuming that uh, the government's plan will will work or near enough work and that hopefully maybe it mightn't be the end of June, but uh, towards the end of this year, I, I would hope to see most people vaccinated that want to be vaccinated, that is. And that uh, we get back to some kind of normality, because before before COVID uh, hit us, like the four soup kitchens were were supplying in the region of about three thousand hot meals. And I think the last time I spoke to you on your programme, we we mentioned that uh, it was our ambition to open four new soup kitchens: Mullingar, Longford, at Lone and Galway City and unfortunately because of COVID that has held us back but it's it, it we still plan to get them opened because there we have calls from TDs and councillors and individuals in the areas to get these to, to get the soup kitchens opened in the areas because they are badly needed
3: what about on the other side of things, uh, donations to you were always very, very strong. Ha- has that aspect for the parcels and the putting together of the parcels continued?
0: I it's, the Food donations have been uh, hit about, in or around 35-40%. Uh, in the last year because of the fact that obviously the factories that we were dealing with um, it's harder to get into them now mm. with the COVID uh, situation so the van sometimes uh, um, when we go to a, a spot the, the boss man might say no no uh, we can't let you in today, you can't collect stuff today and, and that's that's hard because uh, we would be expecting that evening to empty a van load and, and get it out to the individuals that would be uh, looking for the food parcels.
3: Mm. And your and, fundraising, I take it as well, uh, No, it goes without saying, we know it across the spectrum uh, with charities. It's been a really, really tough 12 months.
0: Yes, well, now I have to say, I was only actually uh, looking at the figures uh, yesterday after speaking to Louise. And we've been hit uh, 80% down, believe it or believe it not, on 2019. We're 80% down. And uh, I had to put another €35,000 in to keep the show going because what people mightn't realise is uh, we still have to pay the rents on the units and we still have to pay the insurance and uh, any other standing charges that uh, apply.
3: Yeah, so that doesn't go away. They're a fixed cost and they always have to be met. Mark, why do you do it? I know you had success in your time in business and uh, you left that world behind. Why? Why do you continue, you know, to fund this?
0: I have to be honest with you. um, For the last number of years since I got involved, um, I've just seen... People's facial expressions, when you do them some good, like bringing them a food parcel, like putting a hot meal in front of them on the table, uh, to see their their facial expression, is it, it's a fantastic thing. You have to do it to realise what, what what it does for you. And to be straight and honest with you, it, it, I, I only intend on doing this on a part-time basis. Uh, maybe 10-15 hours a week it's working out now that it's taken 60 or 70 hours a week but I have to do, say I love it, my family at home uh, I eat, sleep soup kitchen and I think the family at home are getting set up for me talking <laughs> about soup kitchen all the time but uh, they, at the same time they all put their, their, their shoulder to the, mm. the helm and, and, and make it happen with me
3: May I remind you that you're retired and uh, tell our listeners that this man had a quadruple bypass as well. You should be minding yourself a bit better, you know. Do you know what? I think it's keeping me alive. <laughs> ah, ah, now, Mark. Now, Mark, I think you've said something really important today because, you know, uh people have crises in their lives and, you know, if you just fold up your tent, well, that crisis can blow out of all proportions. It
0: can indeed, it can indeed. No, I, I, I think, you know, I, I, I know a lot of individuals that have had bypasses and the devil knows what, and they, and they seem to lie down and, and let it get in on top of them. But I, I have to be honest with you, I'm one of them individuals that, you no, know, just get up and, and go. Look, at what's meant to happen in life is meant to happen in life, and that's just the way it
3: is. There's a message in to say, uh, we're in Dundalk and listening to the interview with Mark, where can we get help? Oh God, that's a plea for help there, Mark.
0: Yeah, um, the the phone number is on our unit down there. Um, I can call it out here now yes. again. It's oh eight five double eight double one double one two.
3: Okay, and I'll repeat that for that listener today who's in Dundalk. Oh eight five double eight double one double one two. There's a number for you to phone, and I'll give it out again in, in the course of, of the show. Um, you know, you are stepping into an area of life in Ireland that needs help urgently. And we've seen, we saw before COVID as well, the uh, incidents of homelessness and people on the streets and all that goes along with people who are, are struggling. I'm, I'm going to ask you a political question. Do you believe that enough has been done from government, you know, to address the issues you encounter every day?
0: No, <laughs> And in, 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 uh, look at what seems to be happening. Uh, a party goes into power and they're going to do all in sundry to help the homeless and all that kind of thing. And they put a lot of plans, plans of action into action, but they never seem to get to the end of it before they're gone and a new party is coming in. Uh, all I can see is, yes, they have addressed uh, the housing crisis to an extent. I don't think it's enough, uh, as Peter McVerry has quoted before. Um, n- it's definitely, definitely not enough. Uh, they need to do an awful lot more. They seem to have the money for different crises, so I don't know why they can't help out where the homeless situation.
3: It's a very good point because who would have ever said that we could close down the economy for what for basically 14 months at this stage? Large aspects of it. Yeah. and yet the money could be found. There's, there's a message in there, isn't there, Mark?
0: There definitely, definitely is. And, and and, and like, uh, people have got very, very clever regarding uh, politics and otherwise. Years ago, people were a bit slow. That would be the word I would use. But people now realise an awful lot about what politicians are doing and what they're not doing. And the bottom line is that... They could have made these borrowings a long, long time ago. They've made, I see them and they're spending millions on statues and the devil knows what around the country and saving this and saving that. And don't, don't get me wrong, yes, there's that, uh, preservations that need to be made and all that kind of thing, but they're throwing millions and millions of euros at it. Why can they not throw millions and millions of euros at it? homelessness. I I just don't understand
3: it. I'd say there are many listening today who are scratching their heads as well but I do agree with you. I think people have become more savvy and uh, there's more certainly uh, of uh, awareness about what needs to be questioned and continue to be questioned and that is the way to really bring people to account to continue to question and uh, uh, highlight what needs to be highlighted and you are somebody who's doing that. Do you ever think as well just before you go you know that you know, what you do, you're stepping in to do the work of government, like all the fundraising we do, the charities, etc. Does that ever cross your mind to think, are we letting the government off the hook here? You know what I'm getting at?
0: Well, to be honest with you, we've, uh, our charity in particular has never actually took any government funding. Nor do we want to believe it or believe it not. Uh, we want to be a standalone organisation. I know it means we depend on companies and we depend on people's generosity, but uh, we've 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 got along to now and 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 we intend on getting on to the future. But leaving that aside, there's an awful lot of charities out there doing wonderful work. And yes, I firmly believe that the government should be footing the bill for it. But unfortunately, uh, the government throw uh, small amounts and small percentages of money towards the different charities. And to be honest with you, I think it's actually ridiculous the amounts of money, that they, they, the small amounts of money that they throw at the charities for the wonderful work a lot of the charities are doing. Mm.
3: Look, I, I'll let you go. Before you do, I have that on dark number. Are you on social media if people want any of the other numbers that they can pick them up? Where
0: they can go on uh, our uh net on the net that the actual god i'm useless where <laughs>
3: take a uh, type modern uh,
0: things are concerned um, it's it, Irish soup kitchens
3: at gmail.com. Okay, great. Kitchens at gmail.com if you want more information. Don't worry that you're not up to date on that stuff. You're doing far more valuable work than anything that that can ever do. Ever, ever, ever. Mark, wish you well. Thank you for joining me again on the show today. Jerry, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wonderful Bye-bye. man, Mark O'Neill, founder of Soup Kitchens. That number for Dundalk, again, in case you didn't get it, oh85. Double eight double one double one two oh eight five double eight double one double one two and you heard the Gmail there. You can get more information. I want to mention somebody on the show today who passed away in recent days. Kieran Caffrey. I just heard his death notice read there a little earlier on and I have to say, I got to know Kieran through Oliver Hennessy and through the whole angling game. You see, Oliver Hennessy was a man who was on the Dromahull District Anglers Committee with myself for many years, and he invited me first to the west of Ireland. You know, you love—I love my fishing and fly fishing in particular. For trout, but Oliver brought me to Lock Mask and to Cahar Pier. Oh, when I went there for the first time, I must have been only twenty at the time. With Oliver, it was just like... Oh, I, I still remember that day, Louise, standing on the pier and looking out on the lake and then going out on the lake to fish it. It was a dream come true for me. But I met Kieran through Oliver Hennessy. Kieran and Oliver were lifelong friends. And Oliver took a house on Cahar Pier each year between April and September. Every year. He had it for all his lifetime till he passed away. And he used to invite me over. Frank Dunn, who. Passed away as well late last year Came with me there I remember meeting Johnny Breen Another man who's not with us Over in the house there And became known as the Carr Hilton, Louise The (laughs) house (laughs) And it was a bungalow And it was rudimentary But it was the Carr Hilton But I got to know Kieran there And you know He was a brilliant man He was a brilliant businessman He had a pork butcher shop I remember on Shop Street in Drogheda He he was involved in the founding of the fish meal factory That was out at the mouth of the Boyne in Morningtown He was in business uh, through his life uh, he was a very thoughtful man and a very intelligent man and talented as well. And he was great fun to be with, Louise. You know, somebody, yeah. you know, you'd have the crack with Ciarán. And I can tell you.
1: You learned a lot from him I learned well.
3: a lot. And he, he was in the boat with me in Ballahalla Bay on Loch Mass, the day I caught my two biggest wild brown trout ever. They were huge. One of them was almost eight pound and the other fl- almost seven. And I got Baby them... Baby's wa- that size. I'm not joking you. These were whoppers. And Kieran was my boatman on that day. He loved mask. and... And he loved his local fishing on the reservoirs here. And he was a great sea fisherman, Louise. He fished off the pier in Lotterhead. And he knew everything there was to know about catching mackerel. And he taught me all that as well. And everybody knew him. He served on the fisheries board. He was a member of the committee of the Drawhide Club. He was chairman for a short time as well. But he was a great family man too. He had a wonderful family. He really had, and I just want to remember Kieran today. He taught me a lot. He really did. And when I think of the Car Hilton, Peter Clark, uh, Peter used to go there as well. Peter's hale and hearty, and myself. There's very few of us left from the Hilton now, Louise. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes you think. It really does. But I want to remember Kieran today. He was a wonderful, wonderful man, and I know he'll be missed by Anne and all of his children and extended family. And I want to extend my condolences to them today. Certainly. But Kieran Caffrey will always be with me for the remainder of my time on this uh, earth of ours. Uh, Also, I just wanted to say, Louise, just one thing I wanted to mention and I I want to say it. um, The vaccination programme, as we know, is ongoing and it's hit speed bumps now with AstraZeneca and... uh, Uh, The other one, what was the other one as well, that there's a a bit of doubt yet? The Janssen has been stopped now. And I hear the EU may halt, may not do other contracts with these companies. There's talks about that now anyway, but good job anyway. The Pfizer and Moderna supplies are coming along, so don't panic, folks. But you know what I want, Louise? You know the way every day we hear of how many people sadly passed away, the number of new cases, those hospitalised, la, la, la. I want every day from now on to hear the number of vaccinations done. You know what I mean? Day. Be day. Yeah. yeah, be it a, a few Not days in arrear. It mightn't be today, but they might have it from three days ago. I want the uh, powers that be in the HSE or whatever to issue those figures every day now. Is I, there none? Well, I don't, I don't see them. I believe every day on RT News, they come on there and the evening. Now, the figures are just out over on Virgin TV or whatever on the radio as well. I want to hear and see the figures of people being vaccinated every day. Now, they give the big numbers. We have uh, 700,000 first vaccines, 200. Past a million. Yes. Uh I want the figures, please, HSE, to issue on the news, in your figures every day, how many people were vaccinated, be it two or three days ago, and that figure to roll along every day. And
1: would you want it broken down per type of vaccine?
3: I don't want it broken down at all. I want to see how many people we are are vaccinating in this country every day not tied up in hundreds of thousands that we've done so far daily figures included every evening in the release <laughs> on such a day we vaccinated x a member a number of people and that includes weekends because i want to know that and i believe people listening to me today want to know that as well so hse your vaccination figures every day so as we can see how you're getting along, how many you're vaccinating every day. And there could be those figures out there. We'll, we'll find yes, out. Yes, I just want them, though. I, I'm appealing today, using my <laughs> position here to say, please, please, let us have those figures, along with all the other figures of those who've sadly passed, the number of new cases, those in ICU, each day. Let's have, and we vaccinated, so many of uh, our population today. Because I want to see those figures. We want to see those figures going along. We want to understand how many were vaccinating Monday to Sunday. That includes Saturday and Sunday. We want to know. We want to know these figures. No hiding them. No disguise. No nothing. Let's have the figures, the daily figures, please. Uh, Issued with your figures every single day, HSE. See
1: if we can get them every day.
3: Yeah, we want to see those. We want to see those because I think it's very important that people know that and see what's happening uh, going along. And the other news is... And a bit of trivia, Rachel Riley from Countdown mm-hmm. is expecting her second baby. She had a little girl, I think probably about a year ago at this stage. See, the news just came out there and they just announced it herself. And She it. had
1: fish Riley across the board. Had she? Yeah, in other see. words, my clothes don't fit me and this oh, is why.
3: Oh, I see, I see, I see. Papasha, the uh, dancer from uh, Strictly and herself are together now and this is their second uh, child on The Way We Wish Them Well. I'm an old Countdown fan, you know that, don't I know They know that. I watch it every evening I go home, it's recorded. Jeez, I like, can't it's believe it's still on. What I used to watch years. of I years love ago. it. I'm brilliant at the numbers. Are you? Can you get? Yeah. Oh, listen. I can add up like that. I. It's rare. I won't get it very quickly.
1: Seven hundred by three hundred. The, the letters.
3: The letters are a different. <laughs> the letters are a bit of a different story for me. I look at them. But you know what's great? Recording it now, Louise. You can skip through the ads. Yeah, I love that.
2: That's and you can feature. even skip
3: bits in, in in the show to watch it. But I love it. It was a felon on recently. Oh, I never. Saw. Absolute genius. A Genius. You know, there's nine letters, and if you get nine. They double the whole it. Word, yeah. yeah, if you get the nine, they give you eighteen points. <laughs> this fella was just. How many have you nine? <laughs> I think they got pissed off. asking him, "How many have you nine again?" That we're saying to him, but uh, he was just I a can't brilliant. Can't get contestant. four half the time. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes it's it's difficult. It really is. But it's a it's a timeless show. It's been running for so long, countdown, and it is still hugely popular. And a new host. You know that there's a He's new host. hosting it. Yeah, did you not? Wasn't was chatting to you about that? Uh, you was- are the weakest link. Goodbye. Anne Robinson is the new host of Countdown taking over from our friend from Kells. What was his name? Tell me the host of Countdown. Come on, tell me his name. From Kells? No, do you remember we were in Kells for the live show and he came in and I interviewed him? Oh, he's
0: fantastic. What's his name? I can't remember his name. (laughs)
3: Was a Richard on it last time No, I Richard, Richard Whiteley was the original presenter of it and Des Lynham did it and then, uh, the, uh, yeah. I'll look him up. I'll look oh, look, I'll think of it in a minute. It escapes me as well. I was trying to help you out there. My old brain's gone soft. Anyway, we're heading to news, weather and sport at three. <laughs> and afterwards, the ELO story continues and Begora we're heading to the Scottish Highlands. Nick Hewer. Yeah, I couldn't think of the name. Oh, it's a Hewer when you can't think of it. It really is. Nick Hewer is the man's name, of course, that presents Countdown. How could I not think of that? God bless us. James has been on to say, I'm just in the door from getting me vaccination, Jerry, Just listening to you there talking about it. I'm going back to the figures. Thanks to Siobhan who sent me the details. There is an app and, and I have it on my phone now with the daily figures. But you see... Lies, damn lies and statistics, Louise. This is the way I look at it. You've been looking at it yourself. I don't know let's simplify this. Just tell us how many people have been vaccinated every day. There's daily averages, isn't there? There's this, that, and the other roll in seven day. What I can make out from it is that the daily average is 19,000 vaccinations. So in five days, we'd have the guts of 100,000 done. In 50 days, it'd be a million and we still have about 4 million to do. So that with my maths, and I'm good at the maths, I told you that about Countdown, (laughs) would be 200 days. So it'll be near the end of the bloody year the way we're going. Are we doing enough? Have we in place enough facilities to get these shots into people's arms? These are the questions now I want to ask. I really do. I hope we have. And I know supplies are an issue and that is a big bump on the road. But we've got to be ready to get as many vaccinated as we can ASAP. Please, the main bulletin each evening, just tell us in one simple figure how many you vaccinated be it three or four days ago and keep that rolling along then every day and then it's simpler for the woman and man and child and everybody else on the street. It's some kind of hope doesn't it? Yes it does it does and let's get a bit of positivity in and we can watch them we can keep an eye on them as well that they are working seven days and we're at maximum tilt and not taking weekends or bank holidays off and that we're injecting as many people as we can that's the important part. The jackpot tonight Louise Twelve point. Five million. What would you buy? Well, I'll tell That's you in a minute. But anyway, million. Catherine Cowell has won already. Catherine, sorry, Catherine Colwell has won already from Oristown in Kells because she's getting the million-dollar Irishman book. Thank you indeed for everybody who texts or WhatsApped us in. Osha, look at what there. would I do with it? I bloody will spend it. I'd
1: spend what it. What stupid thing would you spend it on? Not what?
3: stupid. I do. I things. I think in my head. Thing. I do. No, not a silly. I wouldn't do that in silly. No. Would. No, I don't think I would. I'd put it to very good use. I'd look after everybody, pay off the mortgages, etc., uh, give everybody a few pound to enjoy themselves close to me. I'd have the biggest party <laughs> that you ever saw. That's the maddest thing I do. And if I invite all my friends to and I just go buck wild like them cattle running out in the fields after the winter in feeding. As that man told us months ago after we're released from this. We'd certainly have that. And then I would put the money to good use. Here in my community there are a few things I'd want to do. And I'd make that money work. I'd keep enough that I'd be alright myself. Would I continue to do late lunch? Yeah. Do you think so? Yeah. Do you honestly think <laughs> yeah. so? That yeah. I could continue to do late lunch.
1: Yeah, I think maybe you'd take a few weeks off and then that'd be <laughs> it. You'd have to come back.
3: <laughs> Leave that one with me. That takes a little bit more thought to be honest, which <laughs> I'd miss you, Louise. I'd miss you. I really would. I really would. You I really because would. you'd be back. <laughs> Anyway, it's you that said it. Let's see what happens. Fingers crossed tonight. Come on, let's... Come on, bring it to us. Bring it to us. Anyway, let's move on on the show with my artists of the week. And they are, this week, the Electric Light Orchestra, or ELO. By the end of 79, ELO's stardom had reached its zenith. Massive record sales and ability to pick and choose where they appeared... And finally, they made it to number one in the UK charts. However, as I was telling you yesterday, and I'll explain it now, they had an unlikely bedfellow. Yes, Olivia Newton-John, who along with ELO, performed the title soundtrack from the movie Xanadu, which delivered their only number one ever. The early 80s saw ELO's sound change with synthesizers, replacing the string section. And yes, their first album in the new style called Time topped the charts and produced the hit single Hold On Tight. But it would be their final hurrah in terms of success as subsequent work failed to chart on either side of the Atlantic. But today I'm going back to 79 and the multi-platinum Discovery album and a single from it that is still today ELO's biggest hit of all time with a title we should all adopt as a mantra today in our lives. Here we go. Yellow. Don't bring me down. Yellow's the biggest hit of all. Number three in the UK, number four in the USA. Don't bring me down. Do you ever feel in life that there are lots of people who love to bring you down or drag you down? Do you ever feel like that at times? In all aspects of life. It's a thing I think in Ireland as well. Maybe I'm wrong about it here but You know, even with authority and people with decision making and able to make life better for people and communities and places, they work against you. They don't work with you. And I think it's the more I live and the longer I live. It's a fact that people are like that. And it's a shocking trait to have. In a people, in society, in authority as well. Just a point I'd like to make after my ELO song today. Mark, thanks for getting in touch with us from Kells. Countdown Trivia, yes, it was the first programme ever on Channel 4. It was indeed on the 2nd of November, 1982, 32 years ago. And Countdown is going strong today with Mr Nick you are, of course. Thank you for everybody who was reminding me about his name. Anyway, final break of the afternoon this midweek, mid-week Wednesday. have to say that at times with your false seat. I don't have false seat, by the way. Uh, anyway, we're going to the Scottish Highlands next. Stay with us. We started to get WhatsApp messages some time ago, from time to time, from a man called Connell McBride. And when we did a little more digging, we found out he lives in Scotland and he's on the line with me today. Hello, Connell. Fascinating, Jerry. How are you doing? I'm very good. Tell me, I'm intrigued. How did you come across us?
1: Uh, well, see, my brother used to live uh, in Drauda. he worked over there for a couple of years, and he used to listen to the radio, your radio station. So it was during the last lockdown there. He says, "See if you can get a, get it on the on the phone, you know, like an app or whatever." So that's how we sort of came across it.
3: Fantastic. And what was your brother's what's your brother's name? It's, uh, James McGregor. Good man, James. Thanks very much for adding another listener to the listenership figures. We much appreciate it. And you do want to mention, don't you, somebody who's in Betty's turn, perhaps listening to us today?
1: Yeah, the brother was wanting to say hello to uh, a good friend of his, uh, Finn and Nina O'Brien lovely so we used to good pals with him,
3: okay great we'll say hello to the o'briens on the show today you live in the west highlands in beautiful fort william i had the privilege of staying there in a beautiful hotel for a few nights uh, a few years ago when we went on a scottish family holiday with our family i take it you know nairn golf club
1: yeah i nairn's a good 70 mile away from fort william right enough but i i know nairn It's a beautiful wee, beautiful wee town.
3: Yes, we went there. Yeah. I, I remember the golf club in particular because we played, myself and my son played golf there. It's a fantastic links course, but we stayed in Fort William. It's a beautiful place. You're a lucky man.
1: Yep, absolutely. I mean, where, when I look out my back windows, I can see right down Glen Nevis, see Ben Nevis. And we've got Fort William football pitch just behind us as well. So don't need to pay for any tickets. I can just watch the games out my kitchen window.
3: <laughs> hey, listen to me, Connell. You wouldn't be paying to watch Fort William Football Club anyway.
1: Oh, no, definitely not. They had uh, sort of uh, been dubbed sort of the UK's worst professional football team. So usually sort of 10-0 for Ashens, 18-0 for Ashens. uh Guaranteed goals anyway, that's for sure. Never, will never be boring, you know. <laughs>
3: I think they hold the record. Did they go on a 78-game losing streak? They
1: did. Aye. Oh. Absolutely bouffin Oh, yeah.
3: well, there you are. You're guaranteed goals, but not much joy <laughs> yeah. supporting Fort William. Tell us about you, yourself. What do you do? I, I know uh, we'll come on to your musical prowess in a minute, but what, what do you do uh, with yourself? What do you work at?
1: Um, at, at the moment, I'm actually uh, in college um, training To be a chef doing a professional cookery course. But before that, I worked uh, in a sawmill and also worked uh, on the Jacobite steam train, which uh, doubled up as the Harry Potter train for the films.
3: Yes, that's right. Uh, Made famous by the Harry Harry Potter film. So you worked
1: on that steam train? Yeah, worked on it for six years. Yeah, it was a cracking job. Uh, Absolutely brilliant. I'm sure. Lovely and. Aye, uh, every day was different. The people were absolutely brilliant, so...
3: Yeah, you'd meet different people. I'm sure hear many stories as well.
1: Yep, absolutely, aye. And my dad worked in the railway for 30-odd years as well, so... Aye, no, it's good. It was cracking. Great job.
3: Now, tell me this. Uh, the bagpipes you do play?
1: Yeah, much to my neighbours. <laughs> 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 kind of uh, <laughs> annoyance. <laughs> I was just
3: thinking about this. I say, say so you have to pick your times when you're when you're going to play them for sure. Are they a well, dis- are, are they a difficult instrument to master?
1: Um, they can they can be. I uh, to be honest, it's probably one of the hardest instruments to learn. Mm. Um, especially when you're sort of like you're breathing and stuff, but also your embellishments. You know, so your finger movements and things. It's uh, it can be quite difficult. Yeah.
3: I believe you nearly lost your fingers when you went to learn the bagpipes first.
1: <laughs> well, I nearly didn't play at all. Uh, when I first started in primary school, the piping instructor was a, was a pretty fierce old sort of ex-army man. And if you made any mistakes, you used to get a rap in the back of the knuckles with a wooden ruler. So uh, it kind of stopped you from making mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> so I the, uh... sort of quit it and couldn't start again until I was in high school. Yes, took so like a duck to water and... and Playing ever
3: since. Yeah, and you're teaching as well, aren't you? Yeah,
1: Yeah, I am the local pipe band, the LeChaber pipe band, teaching the kids on a Thursday night. Good Obviously man. Now because of Covid, it's kind of missing, yeah. you
3: know. Yeah, 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 we're all uh, in the same boat when it comes to that one. I believe you've just taken up a sport that I've loved and enjoyed all my life fly fishing.
1: Yep, absolutely, yeah. I was just sort of started taking it up and looking forward to getting out and about. Now, restrictions are starting to ease, so. Hopefully, get
3: out and wet a few lines. Good man yourself. There's nothing like it. It's a real uh, way of, uh, you know, escaping and enjoying time to yourself and making friends and camaraderie. It all comes with the territory as well. Yeah. So, uh, So anyway, how. how, uh, Yeah, yeah. And and there's great fishing in Scotland, rivers and lakes all over the place, like ourselves here in Ireland. What's the weather like with you there today? Do
1: you know, it's unseasonable. The sun is splitting the sky, blue skies, absolutely perfect beautiful day here in fort williams so nice and warm with it too
3: yeah it's uh it's uh, high up there and i'm sure you experienced the cold and uh the inclement weather i'm glad it's a lovely day there with you well listen i just wanted to say hello to you thank you for listening to the show on the app and wish you well with your fishing with your bagpipes and your new career as well rustling up those lovely dishes which you will be doing i'm sure very soon thanks for taking our call connell
1: Aye, not a problem at all, Jerry. Thanks for very much for having me on, and uh, just keep up the good work. Thanks a million. Cheers. We will indeed. Cheers, Jerry.
3: Now, thanks. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. That's Connell McBride there speaking to us from the West Highlands in Scotland. Isn't it a small world? I say to you again. Tell everybody, download that LMFM app, put it on your smart device and you can listen to us anywhere in the world. Hasn't he a lovely accent? Absolutely beautiful. I adore Uh, the true Scottish accent. Anyway, that's a lot on the show for this Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Who have we tomorrow? Yes, we have Sean Horn. She's joining us on the show tomorrow. Very interesting woman. And Rachel Graham, you know Rachel? Yes, she knows all about food. We're talking about sandwiches tomorrow on the show what's your favourite sandwich? And talking about sandwiches, your children going to school, how do you vary the sandwich for school to make sure it's not boring and nutritious? We're going to get into that area of things with Rachel Graham on the show tomorrow. Eddie's coming next with The Drive. We're off for a cuppa. Louise Louise has something to bring home. or really nice and sweet, just to remind her that she won't forget it here. And now, enjoy Louise. Anyway, Thanks we'll see to you. you tomorrow for late lunch at 1.30. Bye.
2: The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drada Dundalk and Cavan. Let us amaze you with our
3: fantastic used car offers. With over 300 different makes and models, we have the biggest selection of pre-owned cars to choose from. Let Blackstone Motors find the perfect car for you. Finance can be arranged to suit all budgets. Call or visit blackstonemotors.ie today to find your next car.